talking about how much he loves us and, and the grace that he gives us. Um, I brought Sam up here. And God's been doing some awesome things, not only with our little ones, but with the people that work in them. And so, um, Sam, I wanted to ask you, what are some things, like what is a little bit of your story relative to how God's used you and God's um, done things through you with children's ministry? fours and fives, um, actually teach preschool during the week, and I go to college for my bachelor's, so it was becoming a little overwhelming, so I sent Sarah a message, and I was like, you know what, I might have to step out for a little bit, uh, you know, college is picking up, and kids, and you know, everything at home, so she didn't message me back, so I was like, oh no, I was like, she's got to be, what happened, and then um, we were actually coming to the new building, and there was one Sunday, and I was just worshiping, and I felt God just tell me that, you know, I'm not done yet. So, you know, you have to hold on. And that same night, I was on the phone with Sarah Howard and Sarah Bates, and they asked me to um, take part in the twos and threes, uh, a new leadership style, being there consistently. And my first thought was absolutely not. Um, there's no way I'm working with twos and threes. I struggled with it with my children. Um, that stage, I was like, uh, no. And then so and I immediately knew. They were like, well, just think about it. And I was like, okay. And I knew, like, I was like, I'm not doing twos. Like, it's not happening. And uh, I got off the phone, and I felt like, you know, I'm like, God, this is not where I thought you were going to tell me where I'm not done yet. I thought maybe something else or, you know, and he, you know, just said grace. And I was like, okay, what in the world? So I was like, you know what, Sarah? I waited to the last possible minute to give her an answer, and I was like, you know, I was like, all right, I'm on board. And that's exactly what he gave me was grace because it led to so many different areas in my life, you know, like learning the behavioral behind twos and threes, you know, like we are so quick to classify a child or classify a person and the way they act or the way they come off, but really that's not what's emotionally going on inside for them. And to go past that and to look and to bring that in so many different areas in my life, I had no, I got, no idea what God had in store for me to be able to, I don't know, offer it more or see it more, not only in children, but in adults, it's been, it's been amazing. So I, I just want to celebrate. Yeah, clap. That's awesome. Like, I, I think it's really cool. I think it's really cool of God how we go in thinking we're serving him. Um, and he just kind of not only works through us because she's had a really awesome impact on probably some of your children. Um, but that he does a work in us too, in that process. Um, so that's really awesome. So thank you so much for, for celebrating Sam and celebrating what God has done, done uh, through our children's ministry here. Let's sing the chorus of How Great Is Our God one more time to celebrate what God is doing. So let's sing it together. How great is our God. Sing
ushers come and they're going to take our tithes and offerings. If you're sitting around one of our kids, just put your hand on them. We're going to pray over them as we send them out for treasure seekers. So Jesus, thank you for our children. You said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. You care for them. You love them so much. Just help their hearts be open and attentive to your word today. Uh, anoint our teachers to, to share the things that they're sharing today as they learn about missions around the world. So increase their love for you and their awareness of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, all right, you guys. Good morning. We're having a good time together today, aren't we? Woo. All right. Amen. Hey, I have a, a, just a couple of quick announcements I wanted to give you today. Uh, next week, in case you forgot, is Mother's Day. All right. Uh, so uh, what they're going to do here uh, next week is give moms a chance to take photos. Uh, one of our moms in our church said, I never get to be in the photos because I'm always taking them. Uh, so she wanted to bless moms with an opportunity to be in the photos. So, so grab your kids, however you consider them to be your kids. And come, we'll have a photo booth set up for you guys so you guys can wear your matching sweaters or do your ugly sweater or photo calendar, whatever you need to do. And uh, we'll make that happen next week. So letting you know that's happening here. Uh, and then we also have an event called Leadership Community. So if you consider yourself a leader in our church at any level, we want you to come to this. Uh, it's May 18th. It's just two hours. It's going to focus on some of the prayer initiatives uh, that we're going to be embarking on here as a church because we want this place to be marked by being a place of prayer. Uh, for all the nations. So that's a big thing. So I'm going to have Ish and Annie come and join me. Uh, they're going to read our scripture before Eric comes and shares. So we're going to go to Colossians chapter 3. So I'd encourage you to get your Bibles out, uh, flick open on your app or whatever you need to get there. Uh, and uh, Ish and Annie are going to lead us in this. So you want them to stand, right? Yes. Lots stand. of standing today. So stand up for the reading of the word. Colossians 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance that is your, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your awesomeness, that we're even unable to describe how awesome you are. Your love is great. As the scripture says, we have these earthly relationships, but we have brought sin into our lives in, in all those relationships. But the most awesome thing about you is that you sent us your son. He bore our sins, and he took them to the grave. When he rose, he gave us hope. 
And now we have hope in you. Lord, I pray for Eric now. Holy Spirit, anoint him with the authority to share your word. Holy Spirit, I pray for all those who are listening, Eric, that you will give us a heart to absorb what we hear. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. My name is Eric. If you don't know me, I get to preach God's word every once in a while here at your church. So thank you for having me. I'm the pastor down at Glastown Church. Uh, we are in the book of Colossians, so if you already have your Bibles with you, please keep them open to Colossians chapter 3. We've been in a series on, uh, on Colossians for months now. Um, and if you followed with us a little bit over the last couple weeks, I want to just recap specifically the last two weeks. So two weeks ago, uh, you would have gotten a pass, this passage, Colossians 3, 5 to 11. Um, and it talked about the old self and how the old self is marked by these things. It's marked, I'm not going to read the list, but, but you were there for the sermon. You can go back and listen to it. But the old self is something that he says to put off and to kill. And then he goes on in the next section that we looked at last week um, where he says the new self is marked by these things. And I'm going to read this list. The new self is marked by compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. It's marked with love, peace. It's marked with the word of Christ, all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. Paul, leading up to the passage that we're going to be looking at today, he's talking about the old self and the new self. Get rid of this and put on this. And he gives this whole list of things that I think as Christians we can all say, we aspire to be everything on that list. We want to be compassionate. We want to be kind. We want to be humble. We want to be meek. And then Paul gives us the section of scripture that we're looking at today. And I think what he gives us today is he gives us the, the battleground, the arena for where these things need to take place. And specifically, he gives us um, this idea that the new life starts at home. Starts in your marriages, in your parenting, where you work. I remember when um, I grew up in the church and I, I first came alive to my faith, actually, when I came out to this church and visited and was a part of summer ministries and uh, did Camp Grace, and which is an awesome season for me. And I remember just seeing people, in my mind, for the first time that I've ever seen, who loved God with all their heart, loved each other with all their heart, and loved the world around them with all their heart. I'm sure they weren't that perfect, but I'd never seen that level of compassion, love, care, genuine uh, desire to connect with the community, that they would know Jesus. And I'd, I'd never seen that. And so, like, I experienced a new level of life, and I experienced this new level of Jesus. I think all of you, at one point in your life, you experienced this new level of life with Jesus, this level where you said, I want more of that. Whatever that is, I need that. I want that. And so... I remember going home back to Iowa at the time uh, where I lived and, and wanting this new life is what I just experienced, what I just saw, what I just felt for the last few months. And I remember just going into my home and just feeling like a different person. And it played out in little ways where I wasn't as selfish with like doing the dishes or putting away the dishes or cleaning or just, just little things that I normally would try to avoid doing and not get seen when mom wants us to do a task. I would be willing to do those things. Well, that lasted for all of like four days. 
and then I was right back to just kind of me, the old me. And I think that's because the battleground for the new self really does have to start in your home. It has to start with your spouse, with your parenting. It has to be at the core of who you are. It's not just this add-on that you display on Sunday mornings or when you go to pastorate or if you go to Bible study. It's not this peripheral thing. It has to be in your home. And the reason why Paul says that is because you can't fake it at your house, right? Your family, your roommates, they know who you really are. And so Paul gives us this arena to say, if you want to live the new self, well, you need to do it at home. And so he gives us these five things. He says it needs to start in your marriage. It needs to start in your parenting. Kids, students, if you're in here, it needs to start in how you follow your parents. It starts with your work. And it starts with your leadership at work. I feel like every single one of these things could be a sermon in and of itself, so uh, I'm going to pray, because <laughs> we're going to need some help. For If you paid attention to the passage that Ish read, there's going to be some landmines that we're going to have to unpack, so uh, we're going to need God's grace to do that. So I'm going to just pray one more time for us. Jesus, um, you've appointed today, you've elected even me to bring this word, and so God, we ask for your goodness and your grace to be on display as I speak. Not that it would be my words, but it would be your words. Not that it would be my thoughts, but it would be your thoughts. And that you would open the ears of the people in this room and online to hear what you have to say from your word about these topics. We want new life. We desperately want that. Please help us, God. Amen. So we're just going to go through these verses one by one. Uh, we're not going to really even go many other places because these are, are loaded other than we will touch in Ephesians for a little while. So I'm going to pull up the first uh, two verses. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh with them. And then he just moves on. He drops this bomb and he just says, all right, I'll just let you deal with it and I'm going to move on to parenting. Now that you figured out how to submit, and now that you figured out how to lead, he doesn't give us much other than wives submit. It's fitting for the Lord. Husbands love. Don't be mean. All right, you got it. Let's go. I read this. I'm like, man, he. It's like he already wrote something about this somewhere, and maybe he thinks that they can pick it up in another place, and he did. So Paul wrote Ephesians also. So we're going to jump to Ephesians. I just want to give you a couple parallels so you see this. So it starts off, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. This is Colossians. And over in Ephesians here, the exact same line, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It's the same thing that's up here. And then he goes on to say, husbands, love your wives. And jump down to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. So he's got these two parallel sentences. But in Ephesians, luckily, he unpacks how to do that. So let's, let's just jump to Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians 5. And we're going to be looking at biblical submission, this idea that biblical submission for the woman flourishes from biblical headship. Whoa. They picked the youngest pastor to preach on this. Good job. Um, I, I really think this is true. This is a, a line from John Piper. 
that if biblical headship, male husband leadership is done correctly, female or wife submission flourishes in that environment. I think we can look at God's word and and know that's true. I don't have enough time to go back to Genesis and unpack all of how God created man and woman. Um, If you want more resources on male and female, we have a whole uh, DVD series. Nate and Sharon did 12 sermons, I think back in 2009 or 10, just on this one topic. So I'm going to cover this topic in about 20 minutes. They took 12 weeks. So a little grace towards me would be nice. All right, so biblical submission flourishes from biblical headship. Uh, John Piper says this, we would be wise with only one life to live to listen to our maker, our designer, our father, our friend, our redeemer, and then bring our manhood and womanhood into line with what he has revealed. Our culture's constantly redefining what manhood looks like, what femininity looks like. And it happens like every generation. They try to redefine it a little bit. And John Piper's saying, listen, if God's designed us, let's look at what God has to say about uh, manhood and womanhood. So when I answer the question, what is biblical submission and what is biblical headship, we're going to look first at headship because I think that uh, submission flourishes out of good headship. So we're going to start in verse 25 in Ephesians. Um, it says this, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So the first definition, the first way that he says biblical headship should be, it should be the way that Christ loved the church. So if you're taking notes, number one under biblical headship should be love as Christ loved the church. If you're a husband, your call is to love your wife the same way that Jesus loved his church. Jesus is set up here by Paul to be the perfect picture of masculinity, the perfect picture of manhood. So let's just jump over, give a little uh, synopsis of how Jesus is the perfect picture of headship. Number one, Jesus had a job. He worked for 18 years, most likely. Probably started when he was 12, worked till he was 30. And then he started his public ministry. If you are able, man, if you're physically able You should work to provide for your family. I know there are special circumstances where medically some men, you just, you can't work. That's all right. Number one, Jesus had a job. Uh, Two, he was under the authority of his parents. He lived under that authority. Number three, he dealt with his spirituality. There's so many passages in the Gospels where it says Jesus went out on the mountain to pray. Jesus went up on the mountain to pray. Jesus went out in the wilderness to pray. Jesus was alone and he prayed. Jesus dealt with his spirituality. He dealt with temptation. I think it's Hebrews that says he was tempted in every way that we were tempted, but he did not sin. He dealt with temptation. Some of you men... The way you deal with temptation is afterwards, you're kind of like, whoops. Well, that happened again. (laughs) Didn't see that coming, man. I know there's a whole pattern here that happens every, you know, three weeks, but man, I just did not see it coming this time. Grow up. (laughs) Get Get some boundaries in your life. 
Get some barriers in your life to protect yourself. Deal with the way you're tempted. Deal with it. We have Celebrate Recovery. We have discipleship groups. We have pastorates. We have pastors, men. It's time to be men and deal with temptation. Jesus took responsibility for others. He looked around him and he said, who are those that I'm over? Who are those that I need to be responsible for? And he took responsibility. He took initiative. He wasn't passive. He didn't ignore problems. Jesus took initiative. Last one here. Jesus wasn't responsive. He was responsible. Jesus didn't just wait for the problem to pop up. He took responsibility ahead of time. This is a big one for me. It's so easy in my house. Like, if it's not broken, don't fix it. But sometimes it's good to be proactive to make sure things don't get broken, right? We need to take responsibility for the things that God has entrusted to us. And the, and the home is such an easy example. But your kids, your wife, take responsibility. What if Jesus, men, spoke to you the way that you sometimes talk to your wife? What if he said things like, that's your issue, Felix. Why are you so emotional all the time, man? Why don't you grow up? Stop crying. You're so negative all the time. What if Jesus talked to you the way that we talk to our wives? Jesus is the perfect picture of headship. He took responsibility for others. Men, this is not a call that you should be psychiatrists and you should know how to perfectly put your wife together and you should know how to counsel her and, and give advice when she's lacking it. Your job is to take responsibility. That means you show up. You just simply say, listen, I don't know the answers, but let's talk about it. Let's bring so-and-so in. We'll talk with them about it. And, and, and maybe we need to go to a doctor. Maybe we need to do this. Maybe, maybe we need to do this. Maybe we need more rest. But a man's job is to take responsibility, to show up and take responsibility for those that he is over. So number one, biblical headship is this, to love as Christ loved the church. Number two, the call uh, is to, that Jesus gave himself up for the church. And so our call, men, is to sacrifice ourselves for the good of our wife for the good of the women in our lives. That's a hard one. I heard a pastor say once, man, it's your job when you get home, you're exhausted from a long day's work and all you want is just to get in the recliner, kick your feet back and have some sweet tea and watch some TV, right? Kids, be quiet. Go into the man cave. I'm gonna deal with me. No, it's your job to pull in the driveway and to know you came from a stressful day of work and to also know your wife came from a stressful day of work. 
whether at home or a job, like a career outside of the home, and to say, I'm going to, I'm going to ask God for revelation so that I walk in those doors 100% renewed so that I'm ready to love my wife. That's the call for biblical manhood, to sacrifice yourself for her good. You're not just wanting to get to that recliner. You're wanting her best in your life. The last thing is that you will stand before God one day, men, husbands specifically, and you will present your bride to God, and God will say, what did you do with her? The goal is that you would present her like Jesus presents the church, which is holy. And I don't have time to unpack this entirely. You're not Jesus. You're not going to sanctify her. But you play a part in her sanctification. You play a part in presenting her holy. Here's just one small example how. Oftentimes, I notice that men will be upset with their wives, husbands will be upset with their wives, because they'll be controlling. They'll say, we need to do this. You need to do this. And 90% of the time, that control that they're speaking out is because, men hear me, the man didn't lead in the first place and created a leadership vacuum, and she's stepping into it, and then crosses into sin because she's frustrated. And it doesn't make her choice right. It's still her choice. But men, we got to present our wives holy. We got to step into the leadership gap and say, this is what needs to happen. What do you need? How can I support you? One day we'll stand before God to account for how we led our wives. Will we be able to say, I did my best. I gave it my all. I wasn't selfish. I'm going to go on to verse 28. I want to point out this, this second sentence. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. If you write anything down, man, write this one down. Finding joy in her joy is your best joy. Finding joy in her joy actually, I promise you, biblically, will result in your best joy. Jesus doesn't intend to torture you. He doesn't set up manhood in a way so that's miserable and you go through life and it's terrible and you get to the end and you're like, phew, I did it. She was terrible, but man, I really let her. No. This is saying he loves his wife, loves himself. If you love your wife, if you care for your wife, if you nourish your wife, it's going to benefit you. It will be so much better for you if you care for her. It will be better than if you can go home every day and put your feet in the recliner and kick them up and watch TV. It will be better than that. John Piper uses the word Christian hedonism, which is a fancy way of saying God intends joy for your Christian walk. And specifically in marriage, God intends joy for your marriage, men. And it results when you step up, not when you shrink back. It results when you engage, not when you run away. A man's job is to take initiative. 
All right, so here's the definition of, of headship we're going to go with. Headship is this, the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. It's a mouthful. I'm going to read it again in case you're taking notes. Divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Leadership doesn't mean doing it all. It doesn't mean you have to do everything. Leadership means sitting down at the table and taking the initiative to put things in motion that solve problems. If your wife is a math major and you flunk every math class you ever took, it's okay if she does the budgeting. It's probably a good thing. But... Take initiative and say, honey, every month we're going to do the budget together. And yeah, you're going to balance a checkbook because you're good at numbers and I'm not. But I'm going to take initiative. I'm going to lead that meeting. And when we get there, I'm going to say, start, and then you're going to start talking. <laughs> take initiative. It doesn't mean that you have to do everything. You can release her into her giftings. She might be smarter than you in some areas. Scrub it. <laughs> All right. Man, I wish I could just talk about that for the rest of the time. We got like four more to go. All right, so uh, biblical submission flourishes from biblical headship. So let's grab what is biblical submission. We're going to go uh, back to the beginning of that passage in Ephesians. We're still in Ephesians. My clicker might have stopped working. Nope. Um, all right, so verse 21 of Ephesians 5, this is the parallel passage to where we are in Colossians, says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The first verse, Paul says, Men and women, both of you, submit to each other. Oftentimes, people just stop there and say, well, nobody's the leader. Nobody's in charge. Nobody should take initiative. We'll just both submit, and we'll figure it out. And Paul goes on to describe how to submit, and we already talked about how a man does that, and he does that by taking leadership the same way that Jesus did, but it's for the goal of lifting up his wife and, and caring for his wife and nourishing his wife his dying to himself is to lift her up. So now we get into how a wife submits. So wives, submit to your husbands, your own husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, in everything to their husbands. Number one, biblical submission. Submission is a willing responsiveness to his initiative taking. Where do we get that from the passage? Wives are to submit in everything as they submit to the Lord. So Jesus, the Lord, took initiative, took responsibility for our sin. He bore it on himself, and we submit to him because he took initiative he took responsibility in our lives. We come under him and say, yes, your way is the best way. Yes, I'll follow you. And the parallel that Paul's drawing is women, that's the call. When you come under the leadership of your husband, you're coming under him, but not primarily him. You're coming under Jesus. And it's a willing responsiveness to his initiative taking. And if men, if you get that first part right, I'm just going to put a number out there. I bet 95% of the women in this room would be like, yes, I want, my, I want my husband to do that, and I will do this when he does that. 
sadly, it's not a you do this, I do this, because you're both called to do it. So submission is a willingness, a willing responsiveness to his initiative taking, just as Jesus did for the church. All right. Number two, submission means that in a draw, this is going to be the most controversial one, women, you say, I trust you to do what is best. Here's the caveat. If a man is doing his job of leading and taking initiative and asking the right questions, when they come to, man and woman come to a disagreement, they're going to talk about it because he's going to initiate He's going to say, it sounds like you disagree with what I'm doing. And she'll say, yeah, I definitely do. I say, well, let's talk about it. And you argue for a couple days, weeks. And you figure it out. And you get to the end, and if you still logically, you hear each other, you understand each other's point of views, and you just don't agree, biblical submission says, okay, I'm going to trust that you're the one who's responsible to present our family holy before God. I'm going to follow you. This should probably only happen like 12 times in your marriage. <laughs> this should not be like a daily thing, like, hey, God trust what I'm doing. You should do such a good job of leading your wife that you're just like, man, you know what, this time I see your way, I like my way, but we're going to do it your way. You really want that? I think this is better. There's nothing wrong with your way. There's no sin in it. I can see the logic. All right, I'm going to give you that because I love you so much. The man is saying, I, I cherish you so much that, all right, I'll give it that way. But sometimes he has the prerogative to say, no, we're gonna, I really believe God's calling us this way. Trust me on that. Follow me on this. And I really hope I get it right completely. Does that make sense? No. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> All right, so number three, biblical submission. There's like 12 sermons or six sermons on just the feminine submission in our library from Sharon and Nate Howard. If you want more about that, grab those on your way out there on a CD. Um, so I encourage you to grab those. Number three, submission means ultimate submission to Jesus so that you never follow your husband into sin. Um, why is this sounds obvious, but if your husband is leading you into sin, you don't have to go. You should oppose him. No, I won't go there. No, 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 this stops right here. You're submitting to Jesus. So when your husband comes out of alignment with Jesus, you say, nah, <laughs> you missed it, buddy. Love you a lot, but uh, you're over here. Get back under Jesus. Number three. So here's the, the definition of submission that we're going to go with. Submission is the divine calling. This is from uh, John Piper also. Uh, of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. Help carry it through according to her gifts. I want to give one other sentence in here. Um, it's a call to forego the temptation to rule your husband. Right? So the, in the Garden of Eden, that's the temptation is to rule her husband. Right? After they're kicked out, that's what God says. So submission is somebody saying, I'm going to forego that. I could probably rule him. I could probably be in charge of everything. 
But since God knows how I'm wired and he knows what's best for me, I'm going to submit to him and I'm going to forego the temptation to rule my husband. Here's a little synopsis on this. A husband and a wife should be mutually humble, mutually ready to serve each other, mutually eager to meet each other's needs and build each other up. All right, so that's all you get on marriage, all right? So uh, grab those CDs if you want to hear more. Biblical parenting. <clears throat> children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children. This could be mothers also, lest they become discouraged. N.T. Wright says this about this passage. A parent's duty is, in effect, to live out the gospel to the child. That is to assure their children that they are loved, accepted, and valued for who they are, not for who they ought to be, should have been, or might become, if only they would try a little harder. Obedience must never be made the condition of parental love. When the parent is obedient to the vocation of genuine love, the child's obedience may become like that of the Christian to God, a glad and loving response. So number one, biblical parenting. A parent, your parenting should be a demonstration of the gospel to your kids. That they're loved, accepted, cherished, nourished, no matter what they do, no matter what wrong they've committed, you're there demonstrating the gospel of Jesus to them. Your parenting should should overflow out of that. That doesn't mean that you don't stand opposed to them when they're in sin. That doesn't mean that you don't discipline them. That doesn't mean that they can't do whatever they want to do. You still lead them, right? You still have to take initiative with them. I think it's important that you teach your kids to obey your voice the first time. You don't have to raise your hand. But I think a lot of us do this whole, like, counting thing. Don't pick that up. You'll get electrocuted. One, two, two, three. And we run over and we grab them. We're teaching them they don't have to listen till three. Ouch, sorry. I know my kid's only five months old, so I'm not there yet. So maybe it's a lot harder. But... In the same way that we're demonstrating the gospel, we have to show them who God is. God, I'm sorry, doesn't count to three. There are consequences for walking outside of his design for your life. We have to teach our kids on our first voice. So if you've done that, you've been the count to three parent, it's not, oh, it's not too late. Sit down and you have a meeting, maybe even once a day for two weeks. Hey, daddy and mommy used to count to three. We're not gonna do that anymore. We're just going to tell you what to do. And since God tells you what to do and you have to follow him, you have to follow mommy and daddy on the first time. And then when they don't, you let them know what the discipline will be ahead of time. If you want more information about that, I'm going to just divert all the questions to Caleb Howard. And uh, <laughs> he'll talk to you more about that. All right. Uh, biblical work. I'm so sorry we can't stick on these longer. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people, pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. What, whatever you do, work heartily 
as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there's no partialities. Number one, you work for God, not for men. Whatever your job, no matter how terrible your boss is, you're working for God, not for men. Since that's true, your paycheck is not your reward for working. That's a little bit of an overstatement because it definitely is your payment for working. But if God is your, if God is your boss, right, what's our payment for working? Is it that he gives us our $2,000 or whatever? No, it says here that you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You will receive heaven as your reward for working hard on earth. Isn't that like the opposite of legalism? No, there's some component of you work for God and he's created heaven for our reward, for our our good. And as a reward for your hard work here in heaven, or for our hard work here on earth, we get heaven or heaven on earth. You will receive an inheritance as your reward. That's, that's in the end. Number three, give 100% of your effort, purpose, and energy 100% of the time. Give 100% of your effort, purpose, and energy 100% of the time. All right, last one here I want to highlight in verse 25. Justice will be brought against those who treat you poorly at work. It will happen. I had a guy come to me recently and ask for prayer. He was having problems at his work. Uh, a coworker was literally like just picking on him. All the coworkers were like, this is terrible, this is mean. He would go to his bosses. Just seemingly like just a terrible situation. He decides, you know what? I, I, I'm calling out of work. I can't go in. Like I just don't want to be here. And he comes in, asks for prayer. He's like, I just need God to show up. I need God to do something. Within a week, this guy had a raise. And the other guy, like, I don't know if he got fired, but something negative happened in his workplace, had a demotion. And it might not be that instant for you. It might not come till the end. But no, you don't have to carry out justice against those who wrong you. Jesus will do it for you. All right. Getting on to our last one, biblical work. Um, masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly. I'm on the worship team. You can come on up. <laughs> masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. If you're a boss, you're a leader at work, your employees have the same amount of value as their boss, as you do. When you read this in other translations, the word bondservant, do you know what that translates as in other translations? If you have your Bibles open, what is it? Slave. Yeah. They did a little PR job and put bondservants in. Sounds a lot better, right? There were slaves in this time, and Paul is saying, masters who are over slaves, your job is to not hold it over their heads, but to treat them 
justly and fairly, to treat them with equality. They are not worse than you. Their slave system was a lot different than the American slave system over the last 200, 300 years ago. They, primarily, slavery was uh, a result in the Roman culture of a debt that you could not pay back. And so you were taken on as a slave, and it was a willing choice. You said, well, I can't pay you back. I'm, I'm never going to make enough money. So the quickest way out of my debt is actually to quit my job and to become a slave and to work for you. So our idea of slavery is just a lot different than what the Roman culture was experiencing. So bond servant is a lot more appropriate, which is why the parallel to worker, because it's a willing choice. You most likely willingly choose to work at your job. But from the very beginning, I just want to say this, Paul is already saying nobody's less than anybody else. Doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your position, doesn't matter you're slave or free, we're all equal in his eyes. Employees have the same amount of value as their boss. So here's a recap. Five things. Your new life starts in your marriage, your parenting, following your parents, your work, your leadership at work. I don't know about you, but that's a lot of information really fast. And you're, I would guess, potentially overwhelmed in one of those areas. Like, I can't do that. Some of you wives are like, have you met my husband? There's no way he's going to lead like that. Husbands, you're like, there's no way I can lead her like that. Jesus is Jesus for a reason. I'm not Jesus. How can I show my kids the gospel all the time? I can't even control my anger. I don't want to give 100% at work because it's just exhausting. It's a lot easier to talk down to my employees because if I don't see them as equal, I don't have to think as much about them. We have all these excuses, all these thoughts, all these broken patterns, and really today, salvation in these areas. We're going to sing a song uh, to close out our time, a couple songs. Uh, Chris is going to come back up in a little bit, um, but I, I want to just even preemptively say there's going to be space for you to pray about one of these areas. Space for you to respond and say, Jesus, I, I'm going to try my hardest, but I know it won't be enough, so please help me. And you can come up here and get prayer from someone or you can just even bring your family to the first two rows, and as a family, you can pray together. But can you imagine if we begged Jesus to intervene in our homes, to step into our broken patterns and say, I've been doing this for 20 years. I don't see another way. Please help. song together and we'll have space for prayer but prepare your hearts just by putting Jesus in his rightful position as an authority in your life let me pray for you so Jesus we ask for your grace and your goodness to live this out in our everyday lives help our parents 
Help our men to be men who want Jesus. Help our men be men who say, I can't do this. I need help. I'm going to take initiative, and even though I'm too messy to lead this, I'm going to try. Help our women who have been hurt by bad male leadership over the years. Protect them, God. Protect them. Help our kids who have experienced distrust, discouragement by bad parenting. Jesus, save our kids. Help us to be workers who are not ashamed of the gospel and live it out every day. We need your help. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? I see the works of your hand. Galaxies spin in a heavenly dance, oh God. All that you are so overwhelmed I hear the sound of your voice all at once it's a gentle and thundering noise oh God all that you are so
So as Eric said, you're going to have some time to pray. Uh, so the band's going to keep playing quietly. I'm going to give you some time to do that. You can either come to the altar and do that. Uh, some of our prayer people would be available if there's things that you feel like maybe are too hard to talk about or even start on. Um, so we had these five things that Eric talked about. And you might look at that and be like, oh, my gosh, where do I start? So that's what these faith talk questions are for. So I'm going to put those up there for you. Uh, so we're going to leave these on the screen. We'll go to the next one there. Uh, so you can see some of these things to talk about, things to press into. Um, this is a safe place to do that. So we'll give you a little bit of time to, to talk and to pray and encourage you to spend your time uh, talking with each other and maybe talking with somebody you know that might be walking through some of these things. Uh, this is significant stuff. And I just want to caution you as you do this, don't look to each other as the savior of your relationships. That's going to fail every time. It starts with Jesus, because if we try to take our flesh to correct the flesh, that's called legalism. We have to come before Jesus on this. Go there first. Let that come down. Okay, so let me pray for you, and then you'll have some time to interact and take as much time as you need while the band continues to play, and then whenever you're ready after that, you can leave uh, and go into your week. So Jesus, thank you for these words. It's a big call for us. It's something you desire that your church would be marked by. That's why you wrote it to the Colossians. That's why you're reminding us of this truth today. So Jesus, help us to be uh, an example and a model for how you would relate to us. Let our marriages and our homes, our households, our friendships, our work lives, let those be saturated with the gospel. So we ask you to help us draw near to us as we talk these things through. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you need some time to group up, feel free to do that. Uh, if you're ready to take off, you can do that. And the band's going to sing one more song. If you'd like to use the altar space to come and pray, feel free to do that as well. i 
Thank you, kids. The African Children's Choir. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.